And I'll get you to stand if you would. Begin reading in verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne. I'm going to pause there. That says all the angels. And the Bible says there's an innumerable number of angels. So just, I want you to get this scene in your mind. All the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before God, therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the heat the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them into living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Praise God. That's the word of the Lord. Preacher Larry, would you lead us to the Lord in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we realize that this scripture calls us to... Amen. Thank you. So let's review from last week. This chapter is an interlude, or if you prefer, a non-chronological parenthetical insertion, or an NCPI. Um, between the 6th and the 7th seal judgment, 144,000 have been sealed from where? The Methodist Church, Southern Baptist? No, from all the tribes of Israel. And I belabored that point because there's a lot of people that want to say that this is the church. God goes into detail, naming every single tribe. And there are 144,000. This time period is the 70th week of Daniel, or the tribulation period. The church age is over, and so the rules have changed. And we're going to see that the nomenclature is changing too. This is the, uh, the restrainer's gone. He's been removed. And now the wrath of God is being poured out on the earth. Now we talked about some of the unique features of this uh, list um, I want, I'm not going to go into all the idiosyncrasies of it. Reuben, is a, uh, he's the firstborn, but he's not listed first because of his sin. Judah is the tribe uh, listed first. Messiah comes from Judah. Dan and Ephraim are omitted uh, because of their penchant for idolatry is what many commentaries believe. And, uh, but they are listed in the millennial, so they're not wiped out altogether. But they're not sealed in the tribulation period for whatever reason. Now, today is a feast day. Anybody know what feast it is? I know it's Memorial Day weekend, but I'm talking about on the biblical calendar. Preacher Larry called it Pentecost. This is Pentecost Sunday. And what began on the day of Pentecost is going to come to fruition uh, in what we're looking at today. And it's, it's so exciting. We're going to talk about the world's greatest revival that's going to happen in this chapter today. And I'm, I'm so excited about it. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Yeah, let's go there. Since we're talking about Pentecost. Now, there's seven feasts on the calendar for Israel, okay? There's three in the spring, there's three in the fall, and there's this odd one in the middle, which is Pentecost. You got Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits in the spring. In the fall, you've got trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. Tabernacles is the last one. It's the seventh one. In the middle is Pentecost, 
it's that unusual festival. And it, uh, it's, it's unique because it, it contains leaven in the feast. And, and I'm not going to get into all that. But the church was born on the day of Pentecost. So uh, in Acts chapter 2, I thought just out of reverence to the Holy Spirit. You know the Holy Spirit is God just like Jesus is God. And out of reverence to the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, uh, I would like to read uh, a portion of, uh, of the book of Acts. Um, and Mark, if you'll do me the pleasure of reading Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 21. I know that's a, that's a chunk, but I won't preach on it. We'll just read it. All right, Acts 2, 1 through 21. Yes. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which spake Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parenthians and Mades and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia in Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pomphia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes creates in Arabians we do hear these speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meanest this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaiden, I will pour out those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now part of that happened on the day of Pentecost, but look at that last uh, verse 20. The sun turned into darkness and the moon into blood. That hadn't happened yet, folks. That's happening in the tribulation period. So what we see on the day of Pentecost is going to be fulfilled in Revelation chapter 7. All right, let's go back to Revelation 7 now. Now, if you're following the, uh, the Olivet Discourse, remember how I showed you how the seals correspond with that, the seven seals? Uh, and Matthew 24, I believe, is fulfilled here, 14. The gospel shall be preached uh, in all the world for a witness, and then the end shall come. I believe the 144,000 are going to fulfill that. So people say, well, Jesus can't come back because the church hasn't finished the Great Commission. Well, I got news for you. The church ain't going to finish it. The 144,000 are going to finish it. Now, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook, right? We're not going to sit back and say, well, I'm not going to do anything. Those Jews will take care of it. No, we preach the gospel, but what we don't finish, they will finish in the, in the tribulation period. And, and think about it. It would be like 144,000 Apostle Pauls. I mean, that's amazing. And most of the Jews are bilingual too. So, uh, anyway, we back in Revelation 7? Y'all are, I'm not. <laughs> oh, me. I was so uh, 
discombobulated this morning. I left my Bible back in the office, so I'm using one of these nice pew Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we got a nice pew Bible here, by the way. And that thing's tucked in there tight, I know, but if you can work on it a little bit, it'll come out. It's important to read the Scripture. Make sure the preacher's preaching the truth. Amen? You need to bring your Bible to church or have some device that you can look at it on at least. All right. So... And the Lord switched my message up just a little bit this morning. And I'll share that with you in just, in just a little bit. But let's go to verse 9. It says, after this, after what? After the, the sealing of the 144,000. There's a great multitude that no man can number of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues. That fourfold designation speaks of global or worldwide. Okay? They stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, and palms in their hands. That's, and that's a little unusual, but we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll look at all of it. Now, who is this multitude? Well, it's not the church, and it's not the 144,000. So let's look at the difference between them, shall we? The 144,000 are Jews from all the tribes. This multitude is from the whole world, right? The 144,000 is a definite number. This group, you can't number. The first group is sealed on the earth. The last group is standing where? Heaven. The scene is different, right? But I believe we are to see a correlation between the two. That's why it says after this, as I believe the 144,000 were sealed, but we're not told why they were sealed. But now I believe we're seeing why they were sealed because they're going to be the catalyst for the world's greatest revival. Praise, praise be unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I got more notes than I need. And I learned that when I was working in the radio. Uh, in radio. You don't ever want dead air on the radio. And I'd get there in the morning, and Archie Morgan would have a stack of papers about this high. He'd walk into the control room with all them papers. And Shane would say, why in the world are you carrying all them papers in here, Archie? We can't possibly go through all that news. He said, I will never run out of things to say while I'm on the radio. And so I, a lot of times I'll have more than I need uh, up here. So don't let that make you nervous when you see a lot of papers. Don't, don't think, oh, God, he's going to preach on all that today. Um, I might. I might. <clears throat> all right. First of all, uh, they're, they're standing before the throne. There's a big number. They're clothed in white robes. Now look with me in Revelation 6. And Mark, if you'd read verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11. Okay, 9 and 11. 9 through 11. 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, They that should rest for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. All right, thank you. So they're given white robes, and so a lot of commentators believe that, these, that this multitude are martyrs. And most of the people that get to heaven in the tribulation period, they're not going to die of natural causes, I don't believe. And that's a sobering thought. They've got palms in their hands, and that's unique. And I'm going to talk about that last. God switched this up on me this morning. But they cried with a loud voice, verse 10. You notice over and over we keep seeing that people are crying out with a loud voice. You notice that? That heaven is not quiet. Let's do a little exercise this morning. It's going to make some of you uncomfortable and that's okay. You don't have to participate if you don't want to. But those of you who do, we're going to get a warm up. Okay? On the count of three... I want us to say hallelujah, which is praise the Lord. I want us to say that as loud as we possibly can. One, 
I'm going to cut my microphone off. <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. Praise God. This is the quietest world that you'll ever live in. They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God. In the Greek, it's sotiera. In Hebrew, save the word, is the word hosanna. Save now, oh God. And that's going to be crucial here in just a moment. Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne, and unto who? The Lamb. Have you noticed that almost every reference now is to the Lamb? Earlier on, he was the Alpha and the Omega, which are the letters of the Greek alphabet. He's the bright and the morning star, the first and the last. He's the firstborn from the dead, the faithful witness, the prince of the kings of the earth, bright and morning star. He's all of those names in the early chapters, but now he's the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb. You ever wondered about that? It's because with our Gentile ears and eyes, that doesn't resonate with us like it does with the Jewish people. When they hear the lamb, they think Passover. They think the lamb of God. They think ritual cleansing, a spiritual cleansing. So this is another clue that we're dealing with Jewish uh, nomenclature here. He's the lamb of God. You know, there's only salvation in the Lord, in God. There's no other way to be saved. There's no other name given among men under heaven whereby men must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And when we get to heaven, see, this is Memorial Day. I'm going to tie in all the feasts I can think of today. See, this is Memorial Day, and we ought to remember those that died for us, those that paid the ultimate price. Thank God for the veterans. This is about the ones that died, that didn't make it home. But you know what? In heaven, we're going to remember forever the one who died for us, praise God. Amen. Every day is going to be Memorial Day in heaven. Every day we're going to remember. And I don't think we can understand the magnitude of what God's done for us. The magnitude of the sacrifice that he made that you and I could stand in the presence of God. Forgiven, faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Glory to God, able to stand before the throne. I guarantee you, I guarantee you when you get to heaven, you ain't going to be saying anything but salvation to our God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. It's not going to be a drudgery. We're not going to have to work you up into a frenzy. You're going to be in one. And all the angels, verse 11. Is that what your Bible says? That means every last one of them. Stood around the throne and the elders. So what does that tell me? That tells me the elders are not angels. You need to watch my video on YouTube. Who are the 24 elders? And you'll see who they are. It's the church. The church is missing after chapter 3 in the book of Revelation. No more mention of the church. You know why? Because they're represented by the 24 elders. I didn't get any amens, but it's the truth anyway. Glory to God. Watch the video if you don't believe it. All right. And about the four... Now, King James says beast. I'm going to call them the four living creatures. That's a better translation. And they fell before the throne on their faces and they worshiped. The Greek word is proskuneo. And it literally means to prostrate oneself before God. I believe every once in a while, you ought to just lay on your face before God. Just, just as a sign of humility and worship and submission. Just get along with him and just, just lay on your face and say, God, I, you're God and I'm not. And I worship you. I love that. Did you notice that the, the cry of the folks in verse 10 moved the angels to worship? Did you see that? Their praise made the angels worship. I wonder what would happen if we would begin to worship God. We'd get those angels all in a frenzy. They're here this morning with us. We're not paying them any attention. But they're here with us. They're making sure I'm preaching the truth. They're going to hold me accountable. There's a record of what I'm saying. But they're worshiping the Lord too. Where two or three are gathered, there he is. All right. And they said amen. Hallelujah. You know the angels say amen too? Is that what it says? Yeah. 
And he, there's a sevenfold uh, blessing here. Blessing, it means a good word in the Greek. It's, eulogy, it's where we get our word eulogy from. We ought to say good things about God. Glory. He is glorious. He's wisdom. You know, God is so much smarter than we are. <laughs> that thing that you're trying to figure out how to get through life, God's already got it figured out for you. Don't lean on your own understanding. Thanksgiving. Every day ought to be Thanksgiving. Honor. Do we give God the honor that, that he deserves? We don't, but we should. And power. Nothing's too hard for our God. I don't, you, ain't, you don't have one problem in your life that's too hard for God. Nothing. And might. God has the strength and the ability to move that mountain in your life. Forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Sevenfold blessing. Amen and amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, and I'm going to give you my translation. Who are these guys and where did they come from? That is the burning question, isn't it? And notice John doesn't say, well, that's the church. Because he would have seen them. He would have known that they, if they were the church. There's a lot of people that want to make this the church, and that dog won't hunt, that bird won't fly, that boat won't float. It won't. Go with me to Revelation 5. And I'm going to put Mark to work again because he's such a good, good reader. And he doesn't give me ugly faces like Adam and James do. <laughs> he just takes the microphone humbly and says, what do you want me to do, preacher? What do you want me to do? <laughs> we do. We need to be like Mark. That used to be the commercial, be like Mike, remember that? Be like Mark instead. Okay, now John has seen a scene... He has seen a scene in heaven. Did I say that right? Yeah. Seen a scene in heaven. Different spelling. And he saw a group of people. And he saw the angels doing certain things. So, um, Mark, if you would read verses 8 through 14. All right. No, 8 through 12. That's good enough. 8 through 12. Yeah. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals of thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. All right, notice the sevenfold blessing again, sevenfold blessing. But I want you to notice some differences here in this group. Uh, in verse 8, we see that the, the elders, that they've got harps. Do you see that? They've got harps, and they've got vials, golden vials. And notice in verse 9, they're singing. You see that? They're singing a song. Now, I know some translations don't get this right, but the majority text of the King James and the New King James it has them singing this in the, in the second person. We and us. That's second person, plural, right? Because first person would be I. Okay, I had a grammar moment just. And they're singing a song of redemption. That can't be the angels because angels are not redeemed. But men are redeemed. So I want you to see the difference here. They're singing a song about redemption. And notice where they come from in verse 9. Every what? Kindred, tongue, people, and nation. Fourfold designation. Now look in verse 11. Well, excuse me. Look at verse 10. This group, the 24 elders, they're kings and priests. And they're going to reign on the earth. Verse 11, 
He says, I heard the voice of how many angels? Many. It doesn't say all, did it? It says many. And he, and he numbers, he gives a number, which is not intended to be an exact number. And notice in verse 12, those angels are saying something. Now, J. Vernon McGee says that angels don't sing. He says that in the Bible. He says that angels speak, but they don't sing. I don't know if that's true or not. But it's interesting that they're, they're, um, they're saying these things. So, let's go back to chapter 7 now. So when John sees them, and the elder says, who are they? John says, I don't know. We can learn something from John. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Sometimes people ask me a question about the Bible, and I'll just have to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'll get back to you. And I'll, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, because we don't have all the answers, right? I know I don't. So, who are they? And he said, sir, you know. And notice what the elder says unto him. These are they which came out of great tribulation. I'm not going to read all this. I've got something up on the board here. We'll come back to that. Just forget you saw that. The Greek word here for coming out, that's what Greek looks like, by the way, that first word. Erkomenai. And it means they're continually coming out. It's not a one-time thing. Now, I know your English Bible say they came out but the Greek is literally, they're coming out. It's a process. Um, and I've got a couple of quotes up here of some theologians, Gar- Garland and Robertson. This cannot be the rapture. You know why? Because the rapture is an instantaneous event for all the believers. It's not like we're gonna, one person is going to get raptured and then the next is going to get raptured and then the next, but it's a, it's a one-time deal. You see that? Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Mark, if you'll read 51 and 52. Okay. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. It happens all at once. These guys are coming out as a process. We're going out all at once. I want to go on the first load, amen? (laughs) The church was born in a miracle. And I believe we're leaving in a miracle. That's why Pentecost is special. Well, I mean, there's many reasons it's special, but this is no ordinary tribulation. In the Greek, it literally is the tribulation, the great. This is that specific time period that Jesus talked about, that Daniel talked about, and they're coming out of the great tribulation. It's not talking about, you know, the, the normal trials that we all face. All right, Revelation 7 again. It says they've come out of great tribulation. How are they coming out? More than likely, most of them are not dying of natural causes. They're being killed one by one, and they're coming out. Notice it says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Have you done that? Notice it says they washed their robes. Now, they didn't save themselves, right? Salvation belongs to our God. But I tell you what, you've got to bring yourself for cleansing. At Passover, the death of the lamb didn't save those people. They had to apply the blood. And you, you and I have got to have the blood applied. They made them white in the blood of the lamb. How were they saved? The same way you are, by the blood of the lamb. That blood will never lose its power. Glory to God. Verse 15 says, therefore, or we could say for this reason, are they before the throne of God? Oh, hallelujah. The reason we're going to go to heaven 
It's not because we're good people, not because we're members of a church, but because we have been washed in the blood. That is exactly the one and only reason we will be in heaven. Therefore are they before the throne of God, verse 15, and they sit on a cloud and play a harp 24 hours a day. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says at all. They've got a job to do, don't they? I would direct your attention to the screen there. This is from Donald Barnhouse. Some of you may have heard of him. He's deceased now, but he's with the Lord. As their calling and service differs from ours, so does their destiny. We as the bride, with the bridegroom, sit upon the throne to rule and to reign. We saw that in chapter 5 that Mark read. Our destiny is to be that of rulers and judges. We are to be kings and priests. Hallelujah. Look around you. You're looking at the future rulers of the world. Scary thought, isn't it? This des the destiny of this multitude, however, is temple servants. They've got a different, uh, a different job. But the, the, thing, the point I want to make here is that they, they've got stuff to do. When we get saved, we go to heaven, it ain't going to be boring. You're going to have stuff to do. That disappoints some of you, I know, because you just don't want to do anything. But I'm glad I got something to do. I got a job. Okay. Now, the King James says, He that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. And I love the King James, but it doesn't convey accurately the, the magnitude of what this is saying here. The Greek word for dwell in the King James is skenose. Skenao is the, the, uh, the verb form. And it means to tabernacle. It means to dwell, to tabernacle, to live amongst us. Now, it's the same word used in John 1, uh, 14, where it says the word was made flesh and skenao, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. John is the only one who uses this word, by the way, which is pretty, pretty neat in itself. In the Old Testament, this was reflected by the Shekinah glory of God covering the mercy seat in Exodus 40, the tabernacle in the wilderness, Leviticus 26, 11 through 12, and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. You know, that served a practical purpose too because it was hot in the desert and that cloud sheltered them from the sun and, and they had heat at night by the pillar of fire. God shall tabernacle among them. Now verses 16 and 17 talks about the conditions that they will never experience again. So that tells me that they're going to have terrible experiences during the tribulation period. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. Hunger, thirst, sun scorching. You know, me and Talisha were talking before service. I know some of y'all are disappointed, but I'm enjoying this cooler weather because I'm not a dog days of summer kind of guy. I perspire. No, I, I sweat. I sweat all the time anyway, but I, I don't enjoy that. But during the tribulation period, the Bible says that because of all the, the things that are going on, that the sun is going to scorch men. It's going to be unbearable. It's going to be, you know, something that the, the heat and air company won't be able to help you with. It's going to be terrible. And, uh, and it says, this is, by the way, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 49. Where it talks about, they shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor sun smite them. For he that hath mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. Do you see the parallel between that and what we just read in Revelation? This is the fulfillment of this. Don't you just love the symmetry of the Bible? I told you it would all start coming in together for you as we study this book. Jesus in John 4, 13 talks to the woman at the well. He says, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I'm going to give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now, 
Earlier, I mentioned the seven feasts of Israel. The last feast on the, the Levitical calendar is the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. Now you notice, and I love that last verse at the end of verse 17. It says, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Amen. I heard a preacher say, God's got the biggest handkerchief in the world. He's the only one with a big handkerchief big enough to do that. And that's so true. There's seven feasts of Israel. Okay. The Feast of Tabernacles is associated with the Messianic Kingdom. All day long, God had me on this Friday. And Lori and I worked together. We both worked at home. She set up her little station, workstation at the dining room table. And I had mine in the living room where I could get my snacks and everything within reaching distance. Because <laughs> we don't eat in other parts of the house, you know. So, and she'll tell you, I was just all day long camped out on the Feast of Tabernacles. And I noticed this unique feature. You notice in Revelation 7, verse uh, 9, that the group that's coming out, they've got palms in their hands. And I thought, this is just unusual. Why don't they have harps like the 24 elders? Why have they got palms in their hands? And the Holy Spirit said, I'll show you. And so he began to take me through the scriptures. Palm branches are associated with the Feast of Tabernacles. Leviticus 23 verse 40 says, You shall take you on the first day of the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. The Feast of Tabernacles was a seven-day feast there was an eighth day, which was a, it was not part of the feast, but it was a, a day of rest, a solemn assembly. And they were to have these palm branches, and notice God commands them to rejoice. It's funny, God has to command us to be happy, because we're just not happy people, are we? So God says, you've got to rejoice. Isn't that funny? Now, Brother Ronnie's not laughing, because he knows exactly uh, the dilemma here. It's because he tries every week to try to get us to praise the Lord. And we're just sitting here like a, I would say a wooden Indian, but I know that's not politically correct, but I'm Cherokee, so I'll say it. And we just sit here and say, I shall not be moved. Be still and know that I'm God. That's not what that scripture means. And this choir is singing about the blood of Jesus and the glory of God and the majesty of his mercy. And we're like, oh, okay, that's great, that's great. Feast of Tabernacles is associated with joy. And they had these palm branches, and they would dwell in these booths for seven days. They would dwell in booths, and that was to help them remember their time in the wilderness where they had no permanent dwelling. And for seven days, they would dwell in these little, uh, these little booths, and they decorate them. To this day, they still do it. They decorate them, they, they eat special foods, and they rejoice. But they wave the palm branches as a symbol of rejoicing. Now, in John 12, we refer to this as the triumphant entry. Um, verse 13, it says that they took branches of palm trees and they went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. All right. And I've always, I've always wondered, why, why are they doing this? This is unusual. Now, some of you are, probably already know the answer. But for those of you that don't, I'm going to show you. And the Holy Spirit showed me. Why are they waving the palm branches? Go with me to Matthew's Gospel. And just don't, don't leave me, okay? We're, we're coming in for a landing, I promise, but don't leave me. Stay with me. Some of you are looking at me like, I don't believe you. I, I. When a preacher says, in closing, you just know he's lying. You know he is. Matthew 17. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. 
All right. Now back up to the last verse of 16. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death until they see the Son of Man coming where? In his kingdom. Important phrase. Verse, then chapter 7 says, And after six days, I'll tell you what, let me give you a break from my voice. Mark, would you read verses 1 through 6? And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias t talking with them. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. Thank you. Notice verse 4. Peter says something bizarre. I've always thought it was bizarre. Peter has the gift of knowing what not to say at the right time, just like I do. I can relate to it. Uh... Some people don't do well with silence. It's too awkward for them. Peter feels the need to speak up here, obviously. But Peter says something kind of bizarre to me. He says, Lord, do you want us to build three tabernacles for you? Three booths. Now, why does Peter say, Lord, do you want us to start building three booths? Because he had already heard in the previous chapter that he's going to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. That's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, by the way, is they saw Jesus as his kingdom. They saw him in his glory. And Peter associated the Messianic kingdom with the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay? We don't, because we're not Jewish. They associated it with the Feast of Tabernacles. And so Peter thought, okay, kingdom's here now. Do you want us to build the booths? Feast of Tabernacles has begun. Now stay with me in Matthew Oh, I love this. <laughs> Go with me to Matthew 21. Mark, if you would read verses 8 and 9. Again, this is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphant entry. All right, would you read that for me? And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Why are they saying Hosanna in the highest? Hosanna means save now, O God. What does it say in Revelation 7? Salvation belongs to our God. They're singing a heavenly Hosanna. Okay, are you with me? They're singing a heavenly Hosanna. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In Hebrew, that is Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But that last phrase that they said, uh, well, that was the last, no, excuse me, Hosanna in the highest. In Hebrew, that is Hashanna Rabbah. On the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would draw out, they would bring water, and there would be the pouring out of the water. Tabernacles is, uh, is tied to water, it's tied to rain. If Tabernacles was successful, God would give a, a good rainy season, okay? If God had accepted their, their rejoicing. So they've, uh, Tabernacles and rain is associated with, uh, with, with rain, Tabernacles is. They're saying Hashanah Rabbah. The last day of the feast is called the Hashanah Rabbah, which is Hosanna in the highest. So when Jesus is marching into Jerusalem, and I saw these guys in the lobby this morning. I'm sure they've been there for six months or three years or whatever. I hadn't seen them until this morning. Me and Joel were back there greeting people. <laughs> 
And I thought, Holy Spirit, I'd never seen these things in the foyer, but I saw them today. It's not a coincidence. Thank you, Jesus. And they're rejoicing. They're saying the Hashanah Rabbah. Baruch Habah Beshem Adonai. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Messiah. And they're waving the palm branches. Here's the problem. They thought he was going to save them from Rome, but he came to save them from their sins. Okay? So their view of tabernacles was correct, but they had the timing all wrong. Because before tabernacles, we have to have Passover. And Jesus is going to die on Passover... He's going to die and fulfill the Lamb of God. He's going to fulfill that. He's going to fulfill the Feast of Unleavened Bread by His sinless sacrifice. He's going to fulfill the Feast of First Fruits because He's going to rise from the dead on the third day. Y'all are not as excited about this as I am. He's going to rise again on the third day, fulfilling the Feast of First Fruits. Okay? Then 50 days later, that's what Pentecost means, 50 days later, there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit has been with us ever since. Pentecost has been fulfilled. There's three more to be fulfilled. The next one is the trumpet, Feast of Trumpets. And I believe soon and very soon we're gonna hear that trumpet blast. And we're gonna leave here in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Then there's going to be the day of atonement. That'll be the tribulation period. That's the day of affliction. And then finally, there's going to be the Feast of Tabernacles. So, we see this great multitude with palms in their hands. Before it was inappropriate because it wasn't time for the kingdom. But now in heaven, we see this great multitude in heaven from all over the world, so big that no man can number, and they've got palms in their hands. You know why? Because the king is coming. The king is coming. The kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it is appropriate for them to wave the palm branches. Would you stand? Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Have you washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible says, notice it says that God will dwell with His people. He'll tabernacle with them. We're, he's giving us these tabernacle imagery over and over. In the book of Zechariah, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 14 of Zechariah, we read that in the Messianic kingdom, we will still observe the Feast of Tabernacles. And any nation that refuses to come to tabernacles to participate in the feast, it won't rain that year. Read about it, Zechariah 14. That's your homework assignment. But here's the question. Have you washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb? Now, washing something in blood seems counterintuitive to us, doesn't it? It's hard to get blood stains out of garments. But, but to the Jews, they understood the sacrificial imagery of wash the animals, the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. The blood has been shed for you and for me. You say, what do I need to do to go to heaven? You gotta wash your robe. You come to God just as you are with nothing, no boast of your own. And you say, God have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> I mean, that's just a simple prayer. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And he'll wash you He'll wash you, and He'll make you clean. He'll take away every sin. I don't care what you've done. There's nothing you've done that disqualifies you from being forgiven. You say, well, maybe I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't be here today. Because the only reason you care anything about God is because of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason you care anything about God is because the Holy Spirit's working in you. I believe He's working in some hearts and lives this morning. You say, well, I don't know if this is for me or not. Revelation 22, verse 17, Jesus Christ said, whosoever will, let him come. I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever. The greatest revival the world has ever seen will not happen before the rapture. It's going to happen after the rapture. But you don't want to be here for that. We want to see that from the mezzanine, guys. You see, 
You say, well, I'll just wait and get saved in the tribulation period. You have no promise. Matter of fact, God says he'll send strong delusion on the ones who have heard the truth and have rejected it. Okay? So if you've heard the gospel, and you're accountable for what you hear. So if you've heard the gospel and you say, no, that's not for me, there's no guarantee you'll get another chance. But let me tell you what, there's no guarantee you'll live to see tomorrow. Every time you get in your automobile, you're taking a, a calculated risk. I mean, just laying out in the bed. Our life is a vapor. We're here for a little while. And we've got one chance, guys. One chance to be saved. This may be your last call. It may be. On this Pentecost Sunday, wouldn't it be great if you allowed the Holy Spirit to fill you just like he filled those early apostles? way back in Jerusalem on that day. I believe that if you sincerely come and ask Christ to fill you with your Holy Spirit, with His Holy Spirit, He'll do it. I believe that He will. Maybe you're a believer here not living the life. We are all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us. And we're going to give an account of our lives, our work. Maybe we need to get down in this altar and repent. It's not just for unsaved people. We need to repent as the people of God too. And I'm going to hush now. Would you come? Thank you.